Welcome to another episode of The Raven Narratives. I'm Sarah Severson. And I'm Tom Yoder. We are the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. The story you're about to hear was told by Nebel Bjor in April at the Durango Arts Center and at the Sunflower Theater when the theme for the night was Rites of Passage. Nibble is a K-12 teacher and a former refugee from South Sudan who migrated to Dallas, Texas from Nairobi, Kenya, after her family received political asylum to relocate to the U.S. in 1995. She's taught physical education in Dallas, Denver, Dubai, and special education in Longmont, and currently teaches at Dolores High School. Nibble believes that if we only go to places where we feel we belong and only do the things our mind limits us to do, there's no way the world can be changed. She aspires to write her autobiography entailing her experiences during and after the Second Civil War of Sudan. Here is Nibble's story. When I came into this world in Malakal, South Sudan, I did not choose to be born. Unlike Jesus, everybody. <laughs> I did not choose my name, Nibol, which means born after twins. When I turned one years old, the second civil war of Sudan, which has killed over 2.5 million people and displaced over 5 million citizens, broke out in my country. It was between the north and the south. All the roads in the southern part of the country were closed. Everyone who considered themselves Arab and Muslim began migrating up north. My father quit his job as an accountant to become a soldier for the Southern People Liberation Army. And my mother went from being a stay-at-home mom to wanting to ensure the safety of her three small children. She decided to take me and my three-year-old older sister to go live in the village and uh, my older brother, who was six years old at the time, was to be taken to Itang Refugee Camp in Gambela to continue his primary education. My mother was able to make it safely to the village and dropped us off. But on her way back, her ship was attacked by the rebels, mistaken for an army coming in to take over from the north, nearly obliterating the thing. A few weeks went by and we didn't hear from her. And so the adults in the village uh, presumed her death and uh, conducted her funeral. My mother had to decide quickly whether to jump into the boat and, excuse me, jump into the Nile River and be eaten by crocodiles or stay in the ship and burn. A month later, we had learned that she actually did decide to jump into the water and uh, there were people on standby who came for her rescue, and she was able to go back to Malakal and pick up my brother for Ethiopia. Additionally, my mother had been pregnant with a child who would have been born after me named Kot, and their name means uh, the girl or boy who was born after the girl, me, who was born after twins. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, my mother lost Cot, uh, but she was able to move forward and take my brother to Itang refugee camp in Ethiopia. A new life for my sister and I be- began in the village. My sister became close to my aunt, who was like a mother symbol to us because she looked a lot like my, uh, my own mother. 
I, on the other hand, was a lot closer to my grandmother. My grandmother was like me, a caring, loving, intelligent woman who would never hurt a fly. But one day, a truck showed up in my village, and it was there to take me and my sister to Ethiopia because the war had intensified. Reluctant to go, I refused and cried so hard I developed the most excruciating headache, begging my aunt not to take me to Ethiopia with her. Unfortunately, I was only four years old and I had to be compliant, so I accepted the challenge and uh, was put in the back of that truck which has a metal surface, so when I'd walk on it, um, I'd feel this heat beneath me. Um, South Sudan is a very hot country and so it was a sunny, hot day, and so um, the metal surface of the truck was also so hot, you could likely cook eggs on it. So I decided to find bags that were along the side of the truck and sat on, on the bags. Um, once the track began driving away from the village, I accepted the reality that was uh, war in South Sudan and um, all of a sudden, I was in Ethiopia. I got to reunite with my mother and my older brother, who was, by the way, so angry with me because I had grown maybe a couple inches. <laughs> and I was no longer the baby that he could carry. As I remember, I did not see one reason to be in Ethiopia. My mother had been living in a small tent the size of a two-person camper with my brother, and now with the four of us, there wasn't enough room. I was put into a school and we were educated under a tree. Without plenty of educational resources, we sometimes had to write our ABCs on the sand. One day we were given a blank piece of paper with crayons, such a privilege, <laughs> and we were asked to draw something we've learned in school for our families. And so I thought, this could be my one opportunity to have a picture in exchange for a return back to the village. I drew this picture and took it to my mother and asked, can I go back to the village now? You can have this picture in place of the village. Unfortunately, that was a five-year-old's five idea, and it did not work. <laughs> but there was another way. In 1991, the Ethiopian communist government was overthrown. And the new men in charge came in and began shooting their guns up in the air, asking us to leave their country or would be shot dead. So everyone started packing everything they could. By this time, I was eight years old, and uh, we began walking back towards Sudan. It was a rainy season. And I remember walking through bodies of water that would come up to my shoulders, hoping that the water wouldn't be high enough to where I'd drown while walking. And then we got to walk through the Sahara Desert, which is very hot. And I wondered how the adults were able to come up with fire. And I remember how them rubbing two sticks together, and that was a, a science lesson that nobody taught me. I just watched. <laughs> we walked through the wilderness where I had to worry about lions and deadly snakes. And 
And then we got to cross the Gila River using only one boat to get thousands and thousands of people across. I remember being one of the lucky ones who got to get in the boat. Perhaps the adults wanted all the small children in the boat, and those who could swim were able to swim. But once I was inside that boat, I noticed that there was a hole in there the size of a quarter, and the water started coming in rapidly, and I thought, well, I'm not so lucky after all. I decided to bail the water out with my two small hands, but that did not work, so I thought of another idea. I sat on that hole, and that pretty much solved the problem. (laughs) (laughs) And then, (laughs) once I looked up at the people's faces on that boat, I felt like I had done something great, because... (laughs) There were expressions of gratitude everywhere, and I felt like a hero that day. Once we were on the other side of the river, I sat under a tree, and then I looked over my shoulder to see that there were still hundreds and hundreds of people waiting to cross. Additionally, there were dead bodies flowing down the river, one after another, just downstream. And I would hear stories of people who didn't quite make it out of Ethiopia, including an uncle of mine who used to babysit us while my mother worked um, to help ends meet in in the refugee camp was also killed. My motivation was that I'd be able to see my grandmother again, and I was eventually able to. Once we were back in the village, Uh, The only person I looked for was my grandmother. I didn't care about anyone else. I just wanted to see my grandmother. And so when I saw her, I ran up to her and sat on her lap. But the last words I would say to her were that, Grandmother, I am too old to be sitting on your lap. My grandmother replied and said, You are never too old to sit on my lap. Those were the last words because the, um, the rebel movement had decided to divide it into two factions, and we now had to walk toward Kenya. By this time, I had walked the equivalent of 1,000 miles at eight years old. We had to walk to Kenya this time, and uh, on the way to Kenya, I was so tired and so weak I fell on my knees and I felt the comfort of death. I told the adults to keep going. Then I heard a voice saying, get up, get up, bull, we're almost there. And so I listened to the voice of encouragement. Once I had gotten up, I began sleepwalking and I had a dream uh, that there had been homes up above the side of the hill where we were walking. And uh, I was invited to one of those homes and once I was in there, These two couple in their 60s decided to wash my feet. They gave me soup to drink and tucked me into bed. At eight years old, it is never a choice to want to walk the equivalent of uh, walking from Cortez to Denver and then again from Denver to Dallas. With no gas stations, no hotels, you just walk in in, in the wilderness. Luckily, in Kakuma, we received a refugee asylum because my father was wrongly accused of also defecting from the, uh, the, the original rebel movement, and he was jailed and tortured. 
So the United States gave, gave us a refugee asylum and we waited four years in Kenya to go through the vetting process. In Kenya, I got to make my first choice, my own choice for the first time. It was simply baptism. <laughs> and my uncle was a pastor and he came to our house. He asked us to pick names from the Bible and I chose Hannah because <laughs> I had this feeling that I would just be like Hannah. As the Bible explains, Hannah is a woman who couldn't have children. And for some reason I had this feeling that I would be just like her. The difference between Hannah and I is that she was married and she had a sister wife named Penina. Penina made fun of her because Penina could have children. She couldn't. She went to church and prayed for God to give her a son named Samuel. God granted her her wish. Now the difference between she and I is that I have made the choice over the course of my adulthood not to bring a child into this world unless I know for sure that they will be taken care of. Three years ago when I lived in Dubai, United Arab Emirates as a PE teacher, I was teaching there and uh, one night I had a dream that I had given birth to a little girl. And the little girl came into this world, I was holding her rested on my left shoulder. The baby looked up to my left and saw that there was a friend there and then to my right and saw that there was a friend there. Feeling left out, I thought, what about me? And the baby looked up and said, my name is Susan. <laughs> what I got from that dream is that not only did the baby want to ensure their safety, they wanted to make sure that I too was taken care of before they came into this world. Thank you. Thank you, Nibble, for telling your story. To pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives event, fill out the contact form on our website at ravennarratives.org. A list of our live storytelling events in 2019 is also on our website on the events page. Subscribe to the Raven Narratives podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and share these stories with your friends. If a particular story makes you laugh, cry, or look at your world with a little bit more clarity, please leave a comment and let us know. Big thanks to our photographer, McCarson Lee of Red Scarf Shots. Check out the portraits of our storytellers on the gallery page of the Raven Narratives website, and be sure to visit her website at redscarfshots.com. And thanks to our fiscal nonprofit sponsor, Mancus Valley Resources. Find out more about the wonderful projects they support in the Mancus Valley of Colorado at mancusvalleyresources.com. The website for buying Raven Narratives tickets, ravennarrativestickets.org, was created by Cortez Web Services. Check out how they can help your business online at cortezweb.com. And our theme music was written and composed by Mo Cooley and performed by Mo and the Motones. Find out more about their music on the Motones Facebook page. That's M-O-E Tones on Facebook. Now for an outtake.
<laughs> See how I'm always one step wow, ahead of man. you? Wow, <laughs> what, what happened to the, one I've got your back? One step ahead of Sarah. <laughs> it doesn't take a whole lot sometimes, you know? Like sometimes I feel like I'm walking backwards in life. Do you ever feel like that? Or sideways shuffle? <laughs>